Are you sick and tired of your business computer guy? Does he take forever to call you back and respond to your request? Are you paying him good money to keep things working, but there are still constant problems, slowness, and other recurring issues? Are you worried he's not backing up and securing your network? And does your head hurt from having all these issues to deal with? If this describes you, please be sure to call my good friend Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital at 843-664-8989. Heritage Digital is an IT firm that specializes in safely securing and managing your business IT network. Whether you have one employee or 500, Heritage will make sure that your business isn't bogged down by IT issues impacting your security, productivity, and most importantly, your profits. Heritage Digital will perform a no-cost IT assessment and ask you all the right questions to make sure your IT network works correctly all the time, and it's for one low monthly fee. This is a turnkey solution, folks. And with clients from South Carolina to California, Heritage has you covered. So if you're sick and tired of the constant computer and network issues, call Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital today at 843-664-8989 and get rid of all the issues negatively impacting your business once and all and forever. 843-664-8989, heritagedigital.com. Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherwood. Inside the Gamecocks podcast, J.C. Sherwood here with you. It is the last day of February, folks. Uh, I call these the dog days of February because it's it's interesting. Um, <clears throat> you know, you're kind of waiting on basketball to sort of play out. Baseball's just getting started. It's a dead period in football recruiting, spring practice, all that good stuff. So it's kind of a lull with everything. But uh, as is the case normally, it, it, it's always going to pick back up. Uh, news and notes segment brought to you by Heritage Digital. As always, please give Matt a call uh, and uh, take advantage of his very fine service. He uh, can solve your IT problems quickly if you have those issues in your business. And um, certainly encourage you guys to do that. Tough loss on the road for Gamecock basketball. Haven't talked to you since last week, so they did beat Mississippi State since we've spoken last. But man, oh, man. Uh, Alabama was going to be a tough out. Uh, and I think I've said this uh, either here on JB and Goldwater. Uh, uh, the Gamecocks had to hope they went cold from three. They obviously did not. It was just the opposite. <laughs> and they built a 50 to 27 halftime advantage. Gamecocks did come back. Uh, they cut it to 60 to 54 uh, and then fell apart uh, down the stretch. Bam, I'm scoring. I'll score them 30 to 17 to end the game, 90 to 71 in Tuscaloosa. Frank Martin still is not one in Tuscaloosa, so there's that. Um, Alabama's really good this year. I mean, you look at the the teams they've beaten. When they're on, they are on. Um, and, you know, down there on their home court with them shooting the ball like they did, uh, it, it was going to be a tall task. And, you know, the Gamecocks fought hard. And, and, and you know, this team this year, guys, uh, has fought hard. You know, they, they have – when their backs have been against the wall, responded well. Uh, I think when you look at it, just to be quite honest, you know, you you sort of look and <laughs> if, um, <laughs> you know, if you break down the SEC, uh, which is the league, obviously, the Gamecocks play in, um, 
you know, you, you sort of look at the standings and let's look at that right now. Uh, you know, you <laughs> pulling it up here on the ESPN. Um, there's six teams, uh, LSU, Alabama, Tennessee, Kentucky, Arkansas, Auburn. Gamecocks have played Tennessee twice, 0-2, Alabama 0-3, Kentucky 0-4, Arkansas 0-5, Auburn 0-6. Uh, they did beat LSU. They're 1-6. Uh, even though LSU's conference record is the same as the Gamecocks uh, right there with Florida, uh, you know, with their net ranking, they're a lock to get into the tournament. Uh, and then so you have the six, include LSU in the six, and then Florida, Carolina, Mississippi State, you know, maybe A&M and Vandy. Uh, they're right there in that next group. And then Missouri, Ole Miss, Georgia bringing up the rear. And it, it, there, there's just a lot of separation uh, in this league this year between have and have nots. Now, I say that, um, and we'll talk about the future uh, here in the analysis segment coming up. That That's not making excuses or advocating for anything uh, beyond this season. That's just kind of a, a layout of what it is. And, and it's unfortunate. You know, if, if you want to look at, like, what's cost the Gamecocks, um, you know, obviously the Coastal and Princeton losses were costly. I, you know, losing to Princeton on a neutral court, to me, uh, no shame in that. That happens. Uh, the Coastal game obviously was inexcusable, but a lot of these teams have uh, bad losses. It's the lack of quality wins. Carolina has not been able uh, to get quality wins. They've been really solid uh, against Mississippi State, A&M, Vandy, uh, Missouri, they don't haven't played yet. They play Missouri tomorrow night. Uh, Ole Miss, Georgia, you know, that they've been really solid against those teams. But outside of that home win against LSU, you know, they haven't have, haven't been able to get the quality wins. Also, like I said uh, a couple of weeks ago, the the non conference schedule has failed them <laughs> because Florida State is disappointing. Uh, the Western Kentucky team they beat in Asheville was supposed to contend for the. Conference USA title. They're kind of like a 500 team. Wofford is not the Southern Conference um, Kings right now. I think Chattanooga is up there and the Furman's ahead of them and stuff. Uh, so, so it's failed them a bit. Even the Coastal loss, if Coastal were a little bit better team, would, would have looked better. Clemson's not that good. Um, you know, so that hurts. That hurts, especially when, you know, some of the, the other teams on the schedule, the bye games, uh, are among the, the lowest ranked in college basketball, like your USC Upstates and teams like that. So uh, that's happened. Now, uh, I'll talk about this in a little bit because there ha- is it are some rumblings out there from some fans about, oh, Frank Martin didn't schedule right or whatever. And, uh, you know, look, you look in hindsight, man, you know, you knew you are going to have a lot of new players. You schedule Georgetown, who won the Big East tournament last year at home. You schedule Florida State in a neutral site game. Uh, you know, you have the tournament in Asheville. I mean, it's just, I mean, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how you really complain. And, you know, given the strength of the SEC this year, uh, there were enough chances for South Carolina to get wins to make the NCAA tournament, regardless of the non-conference schedule. Um, and that's what's, that's the reason this team has a bad, poor net ranking uh, right now. Now, Frank Martin and his team, uh, media today, they, they claim they're still on the bubble. The metrics are there. Uh, it's just a couple of things that aren't. And Frank made a good point about the, the efficiency quotient, which I've been griping about in the net rankings beyond South Carolina. I just, I'm just not a fan of playing pretty or, or ugly, and you get docked for playing ugly. 
So I, I just, I don't like that. I'm just not a big uh, proponent of style points uh, when it comes to what matters. Now, if you want to do a tiebreaker or something and say, well, this, this team's more of a five seed than a seven, uh, I get that, you know, because you got to have some way to differentiate. But man, oh, man, oh, man. Um, <laughs> I just, uh, you know, the Gamecocks have a similar resume to teams that are higher than them uh, is what I'm saying. Not saying that would put them on the bubble necessarily, but that's that. Uh, Gamecock baseball sweeps George Washington, swept a doubleheader on Saturday. You know, after a, after kind of a weird, I want to call, I'll, I'll, I'll say that it's weird, a weird sort of, uh, I don't know, opening weekend with UNC Greensboro. The game costs have settled in. The, the issue is now, this pitching staff has some injuries. Bosnick's not back. You got Seitler. Uh, that does not bode well, uh, I think, heading into this stretch of schedule, which, you know, starts with Clemson this weekend. Obviously, App State uh, tomorrow night comes to Founders Park. Uh, and then the Clemson series, which is always sort of the unofficial start to baseball season. I mean, that, that Clemson series is usually the first big team, inter-team plays. You get some warm-ups and you play Clemson. Uh, and that game, that series starts Friday night at, at Founders Park. Uh, they're playing at the Firefly Stadium in Columbia is the neutral site area this year. So two in Columbia. And then they go back up to Doug Kingsborn, I think, on Saturday. Uh, but that's always big. It's always a big, uh, big deal uh, to go play the Tigers and to see if you can't win uh, the series. <laughs> and uh, we'll see. You know, it, it's a little scary going in uh, with the pitching situation like it is. I'll say this. My number one takeaway from Gamecock baseball right now is Michael Braswell is a bona fide star, uh, the freshman shortstop. I think when you sort of look at him and uh, what he's been able to do and the different things he can do, I mean, that's a difference maker. Uh, right there as far as I'm concerned you know I'm not a baseball expert uh, John Whittle is the person to ask on the website and, and everywhere else about baseball I just sort of follow it but for what my, my uh, sort of uninformed opinion would definitely be that you know Braswell's a star superstar uh, I just uh, I like the way he plays the game uh, quite a bit so uh, there's that uh, not much going on in football Right now, but Xavier Hardy, uh, a big four-star defensive lineman from Macon, Georgia, Tattnall Square Academy, uh, tells Hale McGranahan uh, all about the Gamecocks and a recent VIP update on the Big Spur. I encourage all of you to join. I think you can join for a dollar right now, uh, which is a pretty good deal. And so, you know, when, when you look at it, uh, Carolina's in on a lot of good defensive linemen from the Carolinas and Georgia uh, as far as tackles go, especially uh, Jimmy Lindsay really is doing a good job recruiting, building relationships. Uh, Hardy had nothing but good things to say about Lindsay and Shane Beamer. Uh, so the Gamecocks looking good for another highly recruited prospect in Georgia. I have to say that that's not something that uh, I, I anticipated because I, I thought, you know, I thought the, the, the staff under Steve Spurrier obviously got some good players out of Georgia. I think there were times they could have done a little better in that state. I mean, you can't you can't sit there and complain when Connor Shaw and Mike Davis and, and those guys come out of Georgia to your program. But there's there a lot of guys they took out of Georgia that I didn't really think were all that good. I think the Muschamp staff sort of tightened that up a bit. Um, and really, when you look, Kingsley and Igbare, they call him JJ. Uh, you know, you look at J.C. Horn, um, 
you know, South Carolina got some good players uh, out of that state uh, under under Muschamp and company, um, kind of in that tier that they need to be, you know, with uh, beating the Auburns of the world, Tennessees of the world. On Georgia kids, well, this Xavier Hardy kid has a – he's kind of a tier one guy. He's got like a lot of different offers. Uh, so it won't be easy, but, you know, South Carolina is really making some noise. Uh, I think in the state of Georgia, look at Dylan Lonergan, uh, the uh, quarterback, uh, you know, Zechariah Owens, the big offensive tackle. Um, yeah, South Carolina's in pretty good shape for a lot of these guys. So uh, at least early. Now you got to get them in the boat. Uh, but that's uh, that's kind of a – it was a good sign, uh, I think, for South Carolina uh, that Hardy had to say what he said. All right, so that's the news and notes. Very straightforward there. Um, did want to tell you real quick about former Gamecock Marcus Lattimore and his website. Uh, if you want to kind of – you know, number one, if you're into sort of – I don't want to say self-help, but into you know, motivation and life and, and – psychology and what people are thinking and feeling. And, uh, you know, Marcus has a really good mind for that. MarcusLattimore.com uh, is a place you can find that. All of his writing, uh, what he shares, uh, it's inspirational. I think it takes courage to do what he's done. Uh, he's got a podcast, and um, <clears throat> obviously that's with Mike Yuva, who works for a competing website of mine. But uh, that's fine with me. I like Mike a lot. and. Certainly have a lot of respect for Marcus. I encourage all of you guys to check that out. Um, I think I think that, uh, you know, sometimes, and Marcus Lattimore is a great example of this, sometimes with players, we get caught up, great players especially, we get caught up in what they've done on the football field. And, uh, you know, there's pressure, unspoken pressure there, and he talks about it. And, you know, obviously injuries took away his career. Uh, and, and there always has to be some sort of a life reaction to that. Um, but Marcus kind of makes us all think, I believe, uh, about, you know, the fact that these guys, um, you know, are all human beings <laughs> and not robots. Uh, and, and I think there's a lot that's going on right now that, that can kind of help people determine that, including with NIL. Um, if you look at Spencer Rattler, uh, Jim Hudson uh, did an NIL deal with him. He got a new ride. Uh, and lots of Gamecocks right now are, are benefiting from that. Uh, Marshawn Lloyd has, an own, has his personal brand along with Rattler. I know I bought some Marshawn Lloyd stuff the other day. Uh, these guys are all out there being entrepreneurs and, 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 and I don't want to say ca- cashing in sounds like such a negative term, profiting uh, deservedly. Uh, off what they've accomplished so far and, and and it's not just they're not just getting money you know they're they're actually going out and, and doing some creative things to earn that and I think that gives you kind of a human element look at the players too uh, now with Marcus Lattimore it, 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 it's a deeper level uh, I'll tell you that right now but I do encourage everybody uh, to check out his website and his new podcast uh, I'm just a big fan uh, uh, sort of like you know what he wants to give back to everyone out there. And, uh, you know, I, I know politically there may be some things that, you know, Marcus may talk about or anybody really, not just Marcus Lattimore that, that we don't agree on. And we live in such a polarized political world right now. It's crazier and crazier. Um, you know, the, and I would encourage everybody to look past the politics. 
and, and look at kind of the, the life skill stuff and stuff that everybody can use. MarcusLattimore.com, folks, just check it out. Wanted to encourage all my listeners to do that. Also want to encourage you to, if you are in the upstate and need real estate help, uh, check out Cindy Searfoss. Uh, Cindy Searfoss of Coldwell Banker Kane has been in the upstate over 35 years, married to a diehard Gamecock, and would love to help you with any of your real estate needs. You can contact her, 864-414-5271. Email her, csearfoss, C-S-E-A-R-F-O-S-S, at cbkane.com, C-B-C-A-I-N-E.com. She's right there in my hometown of Spartanburg, Daniel Morgan Avenue. Uh, 864-414-5271. Cindy Searfoss, a proud sponsor. Tell her JC sent you uh, of the Inside the Game Cuts podcast using this analysis segment. And During the, the football season, she does the score prediction uh, every week for us, so she has the, uh, the uh, sponsorship for that, and we certainly appreciate Cindy. Um, okay, football real quick, just a little analysis piece here. Uh, or analysis piece I wrote actually on the big spur.com. And uh, this is a, not a VIP article. So if you want to mosey on over there, you can check it out. Um, and it's about Darius rush and, you know, Darius rush is a player. I, I don't know that any of us put him even in the too deep <laughs> heading into the 2021 season, he got some snaps at the end of 2020 when lots of people quit or whatever, um, you know, but he kept rising the depth chart in spring and fall. And when Prunty, uh, the transfer that was there for a day, left, you know, Rush ascended and, you know, he, he had a pick, uh, had some – had some actually had a pass breakup led to a pick first game. I mean, it, it, he really played well. Um, now, he he split time with Marcellus Dial at, at corner, and Dial started half the games. He started half of them. Uh, but, you know, by the bowl game, Rush was a pretty doggone good corner. We all remember the big, long pass that he broke up. Uh, very nice play right there. Uh, and he's back next year. And, you know, he's a guy that uh, out of C.E. Murray High School, Lance Thompson evaluated, thought he was a good athlete. Nobody knew where he was going to play, spent some time at receiver. Uh, then the old staff moved to the secondary, and it just took time. It, it took time for him, but I, I think he's a bona fide SEC level corner. We'll see how he does this season. Now, some of you will remember he got beat several times, and you know that's part of playing the position. Um, but my point is with Rush, and, and really, you know, the Jalen Foster situation last year, and Marcellus Dial this year, all those are in state guys. Uh, and it's not just in-state, but, but this program has has had, a, I guess, a tendency uh, really since the Brad Scott era of finding defensive backs. Uh, now, look, there are Stephon Gilmores, there are J.C. Horns that have come into this program, the, Devontae Holloman that everybody wanted. Uh, don't get me wrong. Uh, that, that's true. Victor Hampton uh, was a high-level recruit. Um, you know, so, so there's no question that there have been – you know, really touted uh, high school players that have come in here and starred in the secondary. That's not that's not up for debate. But, but you sort of look at it. Uh, I'll go all the way back to uh, the Brad, late Brad Scott era when Sheldon Brown and Andre Goodman were lightly recruited guys out of Louisville and East Side. Uh, both those guys. That was probably they were probably one of the best corner duos in the history of the program. Maybe the best. Uh, if we get right down to it, Brad Edwards and Norman Floyd in the 80s, maybe 
would come down. But as far as a duo goes, uh, you know, and I know Jimmy Legree played with Gilmore and, and pretty good secondary elite, really, uh, at times. Um, but you go beyond that, and you had Dante Robinson and DeAndre Island, who Holtz found. Spurrier uh, came in. They found Stoney Woodson and Captain Munerlin and Darian Stewart. Uh, Antonio Allen, Jimmy Legree, who I mentioned earlier, uh, take it on up through Rashad Fenton, who was kind of an afterthought uh, in that class. Uh, Izzy McQuamley was only a three-star guy. Gamecocks did flip him from FSU. Uh, and then you got Foster. You got uh, David Spalding, who they got from Georgia Southern last year, who's got a bright future. Uh, so for every Cam Smith, uh, and obviously Cam comes back next year and had a really good year this year, uh, he was one of the most heavily recruited players to sign in the Muschamp era. Uh, there's a Darius Rush or Marcellus Dial, you know, somebody they put at JUCO out of Woodruff or Goodman or Brown. Um, and, and, you know, it's just kind of a – it's been sort of a 20-year uh, tradition here. Uh, and I used another – I used a Clemson example on the site today to talk about, you know, their 2015 team. That was that team that broke through and played Alabama for all the marbles – uh, they had a lot of players, Cordero Tankersley, Jadar Johnson, Ryan Carter in the two deep secondary guys from, you know, right here in the footprint, North South Carolina, Georgia, wherever, Alabama, um, that, that uh, were not heavily recruited players. You know, uh, Carolina sort of passed on Johnson and Tank and uh, T.J. Smith. Uh, I think his name is T.J. Smith. T.J. Green from Alabama who went to the NFL was a guy that uh, – Ended up uh, playing for the Tigers and, you know, all of that. So um, that's good news because I'll tell you this, uh, you know, in South Carolina, sometimes you're not going to win the big-time battles for secondary guys. You're going to win some. Uh, and the good news is, too, you have Torian Gray coaching back there, and as he has proven uh, really through 10 years at Virginia Tech, years at Florida, and then this past year at South Carolina, he can take the elite guys and make them better, like Cam Smith, or he can take your Darius Rushes of the world and, uh, you know, turn them into players. And uh, I think Torian Gray is absolutely the perfect secondary coach uh, for South Carolina. Um, you know, and th- there have been some good ones. You know, Ron Cooper uh, was really good at finding players under the radar. I mean, Captain Munnell and Darren Stewart, they all come to mind. Emmanuel Cook, uh, while Cooper was here at South Carolina. Uh, but, you know, Ron wasn't a guy that was going to get into a big battle for a Stephon Gilmore and get him. You know, Lorenzo Ward could win the battles and stuff, but sometimes, you know, he'd go to find under the radar guys and they wouldn't pan out. I think it was an initial evaluation, initial evaluation thing. I think he's pretty good when we're just talking about the secondary. I think Whammy was good at coaching him up. Um, you know, so you go from there, you know, Travars Robinson and Will Muschamp had problems in the secondary. I thought they recruited really well. I thought, I thought they actually developed very well in terms of um, individual talent. I mean, you look at Rashad Fenton, uh, he is still – starting for the Kansas City Chiefs. Keyshawn Nixon's still in the league. And then you got J.C. Horn and McQuamu and, and Chris Lamont and all those guys. Lamont's got in some trouble, but uh, hopefully he works that out. But, uh, you know, they're pretty good at that. Now, the secondaries under those guys as a team, as a unit, all kinds of problems at safety. And, boy, it, it got ugly sometimes. But uh, 
I'll say this. I think that, uh, you know, overall, this program has a history of under-the-radar guys coming in, playing defensive back and shining. I mean, go, going really back to, gosh, uh, Rashad Faison, really. And that was that was during the, the Goodman and, and, and Brown era. Uh, you know, I don't know how highly, highly recruited Willie Offord was, but he, he was really good. Antoine Eastmith moved over from running back and played well uh, under Holtz. Uh, you know, I mentioned Bryson Williams, uh, who had no offers. Jimmy Legree, no offers under Spurrier, who had good years in the secondary. So, you know, I, I think that's when you start looking at, I guess, the uh, 2022 class and uh, the high school guys from the secondary they brought in, uh, you know, I don't think – I think Keenan Nelson's a four star. I don't know that any of the other ones are consensus four stars. Uh, no, don't worry, because <laughs> I think the Gamecocks are in good hands, both from a historical standpoint and for the fact that uh, Torian Gray uh, is the coach. You know, so that's uh, that's a good deal there, uh, and it's just something I kind of thought about. It's like Darius Rush, pretty good season you know when you when all is said and done and it's going to be interesting uh for 2022 will rush be the starter over there will dial beat him out uh i mean and, and really they both started kind of the same amount uh on the other side you got cam smith who missed the bowl game uh but then you have isaiah norris who i think could could be somewhat in contention the junior college kid that redshirted out of teo hannah been to a couple of junior colleges so, or will we have Anthony Rose step up? So the, the fourth corner thing kind of is intriguing to me just to see who who starts, who plays. Uh, you know, death is always a good thing because you have injuries, uh, that type of deal. So we will see uh, sort of how all that pans out uh, in the secondary for the Gamecock spring practice-wise uh, and otherwise. All right, so I know everyone wants to talk about this. <laughs> The future of the basketball program. Um, I think I've been pretty clear of the the amount of respect that I have for Frank Martin. Uh, I think I've been pretty clear that I think some of the things people criticize him for are a little bit over the top, a lot over the top. I think, you know, those that call him a bully uh, and are upset with his sideline antics or whatever. Uh I think that's just your personal take on life and uh, behavior, I would guess. And I respect that. I mean, look, man, I'm not going to sit here. You know, if you're a uh, someone that doesn't believe in profanity and, and all that good stuff, and uh, I'm not going to sit here and criticize your beliefs. Uh, you know, I'm more power to you. I get it. Uh, I get it. But that really doesn't have anything to do with basketball and really doesn't have anything to do with his players. Um, if by some chance there were players that complained about Frank Martin, uh, in terms of players he's coached at Kansas State, South Carolina, and whoever, even the guys that have said, Hey, this style is not for me, being coached hard is not for me. I think I'm gonna you know transfer. Uh, you don't hear anything bad out of those guys either. And in fact, a lot of them come back and talk about how Frank's helped them as human beings. You know, so for me, that argument's moot. Um, I think that argument, if you want to say it factors into recruiting well and good, 
I, I do think some use that against Frank Martin in recruiting. I think that's fine. Uh, I think in state, it's a big excuse, big excuse uh, for some people to go out of state for whatever reason. Um, but I haven't heard anything uh, and, and read anything. And then and, and these days, you would read this and you, you would get out. I'm just saying, you know, K-State, South Carolina, you know, we're going on, what, 15 years of him being a head coach at the at the high major level. Uh, don't you think, you know, you know, Miami High School, don't you think, you know, somebody would have that's disgruntled would have come forward and, you know, talked to somebody and, you know, there's an article about it or something. I mean – Greg Marshall, Bobby Knight. I mean, you know, most most coach, even coaches that don't really deserve it, uh, you know, have, have fallen fallen victim to players that uh, you know felt like you know there was verbal abuse or whatever. And I, you know, and I understand the optics of it on the sidelines. Uh, <laughs> Part of it is is that Frank's this big old guy, you know, scary looking, I guess, uh, and it looks weird and bad and, and all that. But I and look, like I said, if you if you're not a if you're morally opposed to that, uh, I, I'm I back you up 110. percent I'm not questioning anybody's moral values. Uh, I would never do that. I think we all have our own uh, level of tolerance for things, <laughs> and uh, I'm not going to. I don't think you're a bad person for thinking that. I, I mean, I think I think I don't think you're wrong. I, I just, you know, I just don't think it has anything to do with basketball. I think, uh, you know, the 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 style of play, you know, emphasis on defense. I don't think that's a bad uh, thing either. I think that that actually helps you when you get to the tournament. Uh, you got to get to the tournament first. Um, uh, you know, I think he's a good coach. I think he's a good floor coach. I think, you know, he's got good ideas that, you know, I think I think his teams individually sometimes you look at it and you're like, man, this guy forgot how to play basketball right now. But I, I don't think that has much to do with coaching. I think that if you look, players get better and teams get better and, and, and all that. I, th- I think the problem with this basketball program right now is it's stuck. It's stuck. And, and in college athletics, when you have a coach that's been there 10 years and you're stuck, no matter how good that one shining moment, no pun intended, was, which was uh, a trip to the Final Four, one of the – I mean, it, it's the best it, – let me say – let me back up. It's the most significant. And I, I use the term significant because best – I mean, all of us – we sat around and followed Gamecock athletics for so long. I mean, are we going to sit here and say, well, the final four was a better moment than, you know, winning the, uh, or going to the SEC championship game in football or winning the national championship in baseball and playing for a third straight. Um, Are we going to sit here and say that? Probably not. Um, Because those teams at that time were surrounded by, uh, you know, successful seasons otherwise, although it was very frustrating that Spurrier did not get back to Atlanta. It was almost almost similar. I don't guess it – it's hard to say similar because 2011, 2012, and 2013 on the football field, those teams were better and had better records than the 2010 team. Uh, 2010, it just broke their way, uh, you know, because the, the division just sort of broke that way. I don't want to say it was down. 
was down, it was down in 2010 because a five and three team won it. But you know, those other years, the divisions were kind of up and down. It's just kind of the schedule, really. Um, so, so that's probably not good, although it was disappointing that they did not get back to Atlanta. And I think everybody felt that way because I think, you know, South Carolina in the SEC East, those three years was probably, I mean, I think they beat the SEC East champion every single year, twice on the road. You know, so they were kind of the best team in that division, but not go or whatever. But I digress. But, you know, the basketball, you know, this program is stuck. Now, the Final Four, the most significant achievement by a team in South Carolina athletics history. And I say that because significance is not necessarily determined by, you know, what the fans feel or, you know, what, uh, what anybody feels. Uh, significance has to do with, is your is it a relevant sport? How oh, I'm sorry, not, is it relevant? Because that sounds like I'm saying women's basketball and baseball are irrelevant. Those are relevant. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but how relevant is your sport? And and outside of football and, and collegiate athletics, men's basketball, March Madness is extremely relevant. And so uh, I I think that uh, you know going to the Final Four that year was you know, kind of the most significant accomplishment by a team. Um, you know, was it the best? Was it the greatest? Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's hard to say when you've won national championships in other sports and, you know, won a division in football. Football's king in the South. We know that. Uh, but it was significant. Uh, I think, And I think, I think if you rank significance, probably number two was going to that SEC championship game in football just because that's such a big showcase game to have your program in. Um, but since then, 17 wins, 16 wins, but an 11 and seven conference record, uh, 18 wins where you may have been on the bubble. Had you not lost some games, you shouldn't have 10 conference wins. Uh, then the COVID year happened and looked like that was it for Frank Martin, but no, uh, it wasn't, uh, he came back and then now you back up to 17 wins, probably 18 if you beat Missouri. Uh, and then go from there. And this team went 18, 19, 20, 20 games, probably. I mean, I'd say they're probably in the NIT. I don't think it's a given right now, which is amazing to me, but uh, probably the NIT at least. Um, and, and this team with a bunch of new players is, you know, gelled and played well. Uh, like I said uh, at the top of the show, I, I just think it's a year where there's definitely a difference between the six and then the next four, and then the next four uh, in the SEC this year. There's just It's one of those years. Some years it's not. This year it is. And then the non-conference schedule has failed the Gamecocks yet again. Uh, it's funny because the str- overall strength of schedule is way up there. The non-conference strength of schedule, which is going to matter, uh, is way down. Um, and, and that's sort of how – you know, the, 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 the committee judges the non-conference street, the schedule pretty high. Um, now, I'll be honest, uh, I thought for the life of me with all the new faces, even, even though you didn't schedule, he didn't schedule any games, furthest road trip was Asheville, you know, in the non-conference. I, I thought, man, this may be in a, a team that's overscheduled a little bit because the Florida State game and the Georgetown – Clemson and uh, some tricky mid-majors like UAB and Wofford. I was like, oh, God, this, you know, given the normal losses, 
in the preseason. You know, I didn't expect it to be Coastal by 24 points. Princeton I half expected, but no, not Coastal. Uh, not by that margin either. But um, I uh, – <laughs> You know, I, I thought they may have overscheduled a bit. I, I was sort of looking for a, you know, look, man, the, this team, this group needs to gel, play some teams you can go out and gel against, and then you're ready for conference play. Well, they're ready for conference play. I mean, Carolina's probably going to finish 500 in the league uh, if they can beat Missouri. Um, and that's not bad, historically speaking, that, you know, it's happened much more often recently under Frank Martin than, uh, than not, um, you know, year after the final four was a seven and 11 conference year after that, it's been 500 or better with the exception of last season. So, you know, but, the, but this program is stuck. So, so, so you have to ask yourself when you're talking about change, you know, what's going to get it unstuck and in college athletics, um, I'm not going to sit here and tell you guys, Oh, they're close. They just need to ride it out because that, that's not true either. Because sometimes you do get stuck, and sometimes you need a change. Uh, And it's even if that change does not work out, you have to sort of gamble because you you just can't keep doing the same thing over and over. And and the last and again, I'm I'm going to throw the COVID year out. Last four basketball seasons have been like Groundhog Day, you know, Uh, unexplained losses in the non-conference. Though I'll tell you, very very seriously. The loss to Coastal, loss to Princeton, that people are latching on to that because they're used to latching on to it. That's not what's hurting the Gamecocks right now. Uh, lack of quality wins is. And that record against the top half of the SEC, I mean, you know, look, instead of one and six or one and seven, you get three and five. That's, you know, that's a big difference. The, I mean, it's a completely different subject. Uh, and, and that's what's hurting them right now. Now, had Florida State taken care of business or Georgetown not been god-awful, and they are – I mean, they're one of the worst. <laughs> uh, had Wofford been better, top 100 team, you know, all that maybe factors in to bit, a bit better resume. But it's lack of quality wins, folks. Uh, the Coastal and Princeton game are, are not hurting the Gamecocks as much as not having those wins. And so, so, so that's the case there. But you still look at it and you're like, well, those are two games – uh, Princeton game sort of got away, and then Coastal was the unexplained, inexcusable Stetson loss of this year. Um, and, and just the manner in which it happened was, was bad. And so, you know, you, you, you sort of look at it, and, and you know, people are latching on to that, but you know, it's a fact that you do have those two non conference losses. Uh, and then, you know, a rallying point in the SEC. Uh, you know, by historical, uh, by history, history standards, it's, it's, it's you know, Frank Martin's uh, better than anyone else that's coached in the Southeastern Conference at South Carolina. Uh, but you're just behind the eight ball when it happens. And then, you know, there's some moments where you think they've got it together and can make a run, and then they run into something. Now, in, in certain years, like I'll go back to 2020 when the season got canceled uh, due to COVID. Um, going on the road and losing at a Vanderbilt program that had gone 0 and 19 in the league, and I think there were two. So Eric, what two and 34 in their last uh, 36 SEC games? Now Vandy's better this year. Jerry Stackhouse, to his credit, has a 
has a better team. There's light at the end of the tunnel up there this year. But losing to that team, I mean, when 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 you've got when when you're sitting there, you can get to 19 wins and 11 wins yet again in the in the turn in the, in the league, and you're not on the bubble, you're approaching the bubble, but going up there and getting waxed like they did, that wasn't good. And then of course the tournament gets called off and you know, that they weren't sitting on the bubble. You know, in that year, if, if you if you found a way to beat Boston U and Stetson, uh, and then you, you know, beat Vandy at the end, that's 21 and 10. You got road wins at Virginia and Clemson to kind of show off. You, you did have a tougher non-conference schedule with, you know, teams like Houston and Northern Iowa. I mean, I'll even throw in the Northern Iowa game that year because it was like a two-point loss. So that one goes your way. Boston, you and Stetson go your way. Vandy goes your way. That team's twenty-two and nine, and I think in the tournament, you know. But but it's the same story. I mean, you know. And and, and again, I agree with Frank Martin. We shouldn't sit here and go nuts about the dang uh, the daggum COVID year because uh, there were a lot of teams that struggled with that COVID year, and um, the Gamecocks were not alone in that. Um, you know, I think uh, it, it was just a weird season. I mean, Oregon State went to the Elite Eight, and I think they're three and twenty-four this year. <laughs> uh, that's what kind of weird, weird season it was. Now they lost some players, whatever. I'm not going to do a dissertation on Oregon State basketball, uh, but you know, Carolina basketball is right back under Frank Martin to where it's been since the Final Four, with one year being the COVID year. So, if you feel like you're stuck, the idea is to get unstuck. Now, how do you do that? Well. Uh, winning at Alabama would have been big because <laughs> uh, it gets you back to the tournament, um, possibly, or at least gets you toward the bubble. The bubble talk can heat up then. That loss yeah, kind of means like, well, you know, you need a miracle at Auburn or you probably need to win the SEC tournament, which is, uh, you know, like like at Alabama, Frank Martin has not been all that successful in the SEC tournament. Uh, other coaches have done better Uh not Darren Horn, but Odom was pretty good. Yeah, Odom went all the way to the finals one year. Uh, you know, Odom was routinely in, and, and the tournament was it was twelve teams and not fourteen, but routinely played played on Saturdays or not routinely, but a lot of the time when he had a pretty good team. Eddie Fogler took teams to the semis. Um, Frank Martin, not so much. I don't think he's ever made it to Saturday. Now it's an expanded, you know, format, but I that. Uh, the team before the 25 and nine NIT team, the screw job team went 17 and 16. I think that team won two sec tournament games. Uh, and I think that's been the last time if I'm not mistaken, South Carolina's done that. So Frank Martin, not good at Alabama lost by 19, not good in the sec tournament. I think historically against Bruce Pearl and Auburn, he's been pretty good, <laughs> but uh, the last few years, of course, Auburn's been, uh, lights out one of the better teams out there so uh who knows what would happen uh, what will happen on the plains my guess is it's going to take a absolute miracle just because of the matchups that auburn team's really good on top of everything else auburn hasn't been played they dropped another game at tennessee they lost at florida so they're kind of hitting a rough stretch and you know senior day they're going to want to kind of get it back together they're going to want to kind of get it back together um, so how do you unst- unstick it, barring a uh, a big run, you know, and, and it beating Auburn and or going 
deep in the SEC tournament, neither of which is likely to happen. And then he hoped to get in the NIT. Um, will the NIT be enough uh, for you fans? Uh, I don't know the answer to what will it be enough for the administration. I have, I have no idea about that. I can see a scenario, though, if you get G.G. Jackson, uh, and that's the big five-star number one player out of uh, Ridgeview, I believe, in Columbia, leaning toward the Gamecocks. Uh, it seems North Carolina, Duke in there, too. If you get him and you make the NIT, and especially if he reclassifies, which, yeah, yeah that's kind of an iffy scenario. A lot of people think it's like 50-50 if he reclassifies. I don't think it is. I think it's, there's less of a percentage of that. But even if he comes in 2023 and you got him publicly committed and all that, you know, uh, in basketball, you get a player of that caliber, especially for that, you know, and, and you look at it one of two ways. I, I think that the 2022 class of Jackson's part of that, you got him, you got Bryce Lindsey, you got the Sanford. I mean, you got, you got some players coming in. Uh, and then you got some young players that are pretty good. Devin Carter, Jacoby Wright, Daquan Woodley are all good. There's a nucleus there, and you're like, eh, it's a young team, but, man, that, you got some players. Now, if he comes in in 2023, uh, then what you do is, depending on who leaves, and, and look, transition, that's another thing that I'm not getting on Frank Martin about. I think it's a very football mindset to sit here and go, all oh, these players have left. There's really not a lot of players that have left that, you look at it and go, ah, well, and you can say, well, they were misevaluations or whatever. But look, in college basketball, folks, I'm about to tell you, we all talk about the transfer portal in football. College basketball, it's going to become a sport where your roster is in constant flux, uh, where you can go to the NCAA tournament final four one year, the Elite Eight, like Oregon State, one year, and then you're three and 24 the next. Um, it's going to happen. Uh, that sport already had a huge transfer problem before they passed the new rules. And, and so it's unrealistic to think you're not going to get hit by Trisha's. But so the idea is you got to do it both ways. I thought Frank did a good job in the portal uh, this off season. You know, uh, you know, you, you got uh, Stevenson, you got Reese, they've helped you win games. Um, you know, Chico Carter, he's he scored points when he's been in. I don't know. Uh, Brandon Martin's been the garbage guy. You know, I think Josh Gray, if he sticks with it, has a chance to be really, really good. He's just not right now. Uh, and then A.J. Wilson, unfortunately, had the injuries to start off with and some COVID stuff. And he's never really gotten on track like people would hope. Uh, but, look, man, I mean, that's a pretty good group from the portal, I think. Um and so, for, you know, so so if Jackson comes in for 2023, the Gamecocks make the NIT. Uh, I think the key is, you know, you go get another good portal class. You, know, you do the best you can next year. Try to you know, have another year. Maybe maybe the ball bounces your way in these three or four games you're missing. And you get back a year early. Uh, and then you build toward putting pieces around Jackson uh, for when he comes in. Uh, and then keeping, hopefully, hopefully Devin Carter doesn't bolt to the league by the time he's a junior. Uh, hopefully Jacoby Wright's still around, Taquan Woodley's still around. And, and then you have a group that, hey, you got a bona fide superstar coming in, plus you got some veterans. Uh, shoot, I, you know, on paper you should make it. Now people may say, well, he won't. What if he doesn't? 
Uh, and here's another thing I don't agree with. Uh, I don't agree with comparing the Gigi Jackson thing to a Ben Simmons at LSU situation or an Anthony Carter situation at Georgia. Both those guys were number one players. Surprisingly, went to SEC schools. Uh, LSU was so disappointed in Simmons one year, they fired their coach and declined the NIT. And uh, Carter didn't do much for Tom Crean at Georgia. But I will say this, look, man, Frank Martin can coach circles around Johnny Jones and obviously Tom Crean. Uh, Tom Crean may have been really good at uh, Marquette. Uh, I think he he did better than just about anybody else has at Indiana. That's a tough job with high standards, obviously. They keep changing coaches. Uh, but, but man, I, you know, at Georgia, he's been pretty awful, uh, you know, and Johnny Jones is awful, you know, so, 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 so let's not sit there and act like Frank Martin is, is awful, you know, as a coach, uh, awful is, is bad, awful, whatever. Those are all adjectives of, you know, frustration, either frustration or ignorance. And I don't think you guys are ignorant. So, I get that, you know, I get that, uh, those terms, but those terms aren't necessarily accurate. Uh, I think one in 15 in the SEC at the University of Georgia in basketball is, you know, mediocre to bad as they've been over the years. That That's not – I mean, you look at how Mark Fox's teams in Georgia were coached compared to Tom Crean's teams. Whew, big drop-off in coaching, big drop-off. And so – you know, that's bad. I mean, I, you know, I think South Carolina being 500 in the league uh, and kind of doing what they've done since the Final Four is, is you, you could call it mediocre. That's really mediocre, mediocrity, average, That those kind of adjectives, and that's fine. So, so the question is, how do you get to above average? And the question for you guys is, and you can hit me up in the mailbag about this, is an NIT and GG Jackson, is that enough for you in your mind to say, okay, it's about to get unstuck. It's about to turn back up. There's not that much further to go, okay? And, and I've always said that the next step for this program after they made the Final Four made a big run is to consistently make the tournament. That's why I thought Frank Martin was a good hire. Uh, you look at what he did at K-State, four out of five NCAA tournaments. It wasn't all because of Michael Beasley. Again, it's a, it's a football mindset that people think Bill Walker and Michael Beasley were the only reason Frank Martin won at Kansas State. Those guys weren't there. They had the one year under Huggins and uh, I think maybe one year under Frank, and that was it. The big team he had that went to the Elite Eight had Jacob Pull and, 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 and some transfers. I mean, it's kind of like he built the roster at Carolina. He just put it together. And there was not this great recruiting that took place uh, numerically. good. It was great recruiting, but it wasn't how you guys think. Um, so that's my question. You know, is that is Gigi Jackson, uh, and and you probably need to decide too if 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 it's you know paramount in your mind that he reclassifies for to next year. Uh, you have to you have to talk about that too. But is Gigi Jackson in either twenty twenty two or twenty twenty three in an NIT berth, which would be the first postseason since the Final Four? Uh, would that be enough? Would that be enough in your mind to say, okay, this thing can get unstuck? Uh, and that's my take there on Frank Martin. So now it's time for my favorite segment, <laughs> the I Help Consulting Mailbag. And uh, obviously want to thank Daniel Owens for my help consulting. And if you're a business owner, you're always looking to save time and money. 
that's where I help consulting can help. I hope I help is Gamecock owned and operated. And their only mission is to help businesses save money on expenses. Uh, that's right. They help you save money, credit card processing, insurance, whatever you're paying out uh, without sacrificing quality. And you may think, well, I don't want a consultant because man, I, you know, I may spend more than I save. Well, that's not, that's not how Daniel works. He only takes a percentage of the first year savings. Uh, so in other words, you may save 48 grand. He takes a percentage and you're, you're saving that. You're saving that bad boy. That's money you can put in your pocket. Um, and if I help cannot help you after they've gotten everything out, spreadsheet, however they do it, uh, then you don't pay them anything. So there's always a free consultation uh, that Daniel will do for you and your business. 843-372-5713 or visit ihelpconsulting.com to schedule a free consultation. That number again, 843-372-5713. I help consulting. How can I help you? Again, the website, ihelpconsulting.com. Please, please, please tell the JC sent you uh, from the Inside the Gamecocks podcast and the I Help Consulting mailbag. Uh, there are two ways to get in it. First, you can tweet to at the Big Spur Pod. I answer all of those. Um, and uh, please follow that on Twitter. And we got one in from there. Uh, and then also, you can email me inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com. Jay Jib says, please make above, uh, or please see above from SEC Mike. That's Mike Bratton of that SEC podcast. And if you like SEC podcasts, um, I would encourage you to listen to that one. That one's awesome. Love Mike Bratton. Think he's a Bratton. Think he's a great guy. He said, I don't know how I feel about this. Odd years we play Georgia, Florida, Bama, LSU, Texas, and Clemson. Um, so what he's got is a pod system where you rotate even in odd years. Um, and uh, he would be the Gamecocks' annual opponents. It would be Florida, Georgia, Vandy. Uh, and then I guess in even years, the Gamecocks would play Auburn, Missouri, Ole Miss, Oklahoma, Tennessee, and Texas A&M. Uh, and then in even or odd number of years, Alabama, Arkansas, Kentucky, LSU, Mississippi State, and Texas. And he said, don't know how I feel about this because you play all those teams, Georgia, Florida, Bama, LSU, Texas, and Clemson uh, in those years. Yeah, right now that sounds really difficult. Uh, obviously, uh, honestly, out of those teams, I'd rather play Texas than any of them because they have problems. Florida obviously has problems. But y- y- you know what, J.J., some years teams have problems. Uh, now, if I am the Gamecocks, I'm maybe hoping, you know, instead of uh, – you know, Ole Miss and, and Kentucky, or, or maybe maybe I'm kind of hoping that, that you don't flip-flop Ole Miss, Kentucky, or Missouri, Arkansas, um, or Tennessee, Mississippi. I don't know. Maybe maybe you have another another group that flips where it's not so tough. But but look, man, if they do if they go to something where you're kind of rotating every other year, um it's gonna be difficult. I mean, you're gonna get many name brand schools, but uh, look, I'll be honest, you know, when the game pass came in the SEC, that was the case. So, you know, this and, you know, A&M and A&M and Missouri coming in was a lot at the time less concerning, you know, because at the time the game cars were winning, you know, 10, 11 games a year. Uh, A&M was a six and six team from the big 12. Missouri was, up and down. Um, but then they came in and then I, I think both 
Yeah, I think A and M especially has, has has done well for itself in the SEC, and, and they're hoping to get better. And then, you know, with Missouri winning two division titles, I don't think anybody expected that. That's unfortunate for the Gamecocks because can make a good argument the Gamecocks should have won those. But uh, uh, you know, I understand that when you start talking about Texas and Oklahoma, those are those teams are what top 10 and wins of all time. They're, they're, they're some of the best, most historic programs in college football. So you, you start throwing them along with Alabama onto a schedule or whatever, and it gets, gets daunting, but always remember this. It still is Alabama and everybody else in, in college football these days. We're living through the greatest dynasty in the history of the sport. Uh, honestly, that would be the only team that I look at and go, gosh, now are, are you going to catch a Georgia in a year like this, or at LSU two years ago like that, yeah, you are. Uh, and they're going to beat you most likely or, you know, whatever. Uh, but if you sort of look at it, you know, you know, you know, playing Alabama every year is the only thing that sucks. Uh, and I would take this over, you know, Alabama and Auburn switching to the SEC East, <laughs> where you have to play those two teams every single year in addition to – because right now – in the East, you know, it's Georgia and then sort of and everybody else. You know, Kentucky's had a nice run. Um, Missouri just had a nice recruiting class. Uh, obviously, the Gamecocks need to beat Kentucky, Missouri. Tennessee's got some offseason hype for the first time in a while. And obviously, their style of play on offense is good um, and entertaining, exciting. But, you know, it's still – when you look at the shape of those other programs for the Gamecocks – it's still, hey, you know, you, you got to catch the big dogs and the actual dogs, right? <laughs> and when you look in the in the West, it's like, man, if you're sitting there and you're Arkansas, I mean, like A&M, we all talk because they've owned the Gamecocks since, you know, playing them every year. And, and that would be a good thing. They'd go off the schedule, hopefully, every season. Uh, and it's easy to sit there when you see their recruiting and see Jimbo Fisher sitting there and say, oh, national power. But they were, what, eight and four? I mean, that's how brutal that other division is. I mean, geez. They were eight and four, and they beat Alabama. Um, I'm pretty sure they were eight and four. Hopefully, hopefully I am not wrong about that. But uh, we'll see. Were they nine and three? Nah, they had to be. Had to be eight and four. Um yeah, because they lost they lost those games Mississippi State and Arkansas early. They lost to LSU at the end, and they lost to somebody else too. I don't remember exactly who it was, but um, maybe they were nine and three. They were Gator Bowl bound, going to play the Wake Forest Demon Deacons. Um, but I'm gonna check this out real quick. Let's see. Yeah, schedule, schedule, schedule. There we go. And eight and four. Yeah, because they right, they lost at Ole Miss too. Uh, this past year. So, yeah, Aggies were eight and four. Uh, and that's just the brutality of that division. You know, Ole Miss had a really, really good offensive football team and got better on defense this year and went to the Sugar Bowl and maybe kind of their ceiling. Did Mississippi State beat how many top 25 teams? Um, and, and so, when you get into a division like that, and, and there are only two on the planet, well, there's the Big Ten East. And the SEC West, you know, and you're not a blue blood, that makes things really tough. That makes things really, really, really tough. 
And, you know, if, if you're the Gamecocks, uh, you don't want to add Alabama and Auburn. And it, as, as, as dysfunctional and crazy as things are at Auburn this summer, uh, you know, they'll, they'll be back. They always are. They always are. And so that, that that's the thing there. But, yeah, I, you know, this particular model that Bratton had is just as good as the other ones. Um, but I just, uh, you know, I just I just don't know, uh, you know, the, the divisions would be better than something like that where you're rotating around and, you know, kind of just like it always is luck of the draw. I mean, we've seen, you know, as people that follow South Carolina, schedule make a huge difference in terms of who gets to Atlanta. Uh, and it could. So, all right, Mr. White has two questions. And the other way to get into the iHelp Consulting mailbag is, and I keep hitting this cord, so I'm sure you guys got some got some uh, feedback on that. Got to watch the nervous knee there. Um, it stopped now, so there you go. But uh, Mr. White's got two questions. Uh, hey, JC, you mentioned, and this is inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com to get in the iHelp Consulting mailbag. JC, you mentioned in a recent podcast there are many former Gamecocks in the coaching ranks today. Who are the former players who are coaching? How are they doing their career? And how likely are some of them to be coaching for us? Uh, that's an article, not really a mailbag question for me because I'd have to do a lot of research. I, off the top of my head, you know, Travian Robertson is a very, very talented uh, defensive line coach at Georgia State. Um you know, you look at Jordan Strawn and see kind of his handiwork there. He coached for Brad Lawing, uh, took over for Brad at Georgia State when he had to retire with for health reasons. So uh, we all know what kind of a good defensive line coach Brad Lawing was. And Travian's a lot like him style-wise. Keeps them moving. Cliff Matthews is an assistant at the college level that's good. Corey Jenkins just got the head coaching job at Dreer. Dennis Thomas, who was a Gamecock, um, Shoot, where did he go? Just got a defensive line job at the 1AA level. I forgot where it was. I'm sorry to Dennis. Uh, I like you, Dennis, a lot. And I, I uh, you know, I don't, I don't, hold on, let me go. Let me just look this up. Dennis Thomas. He was at Western Carolina. Oh, went to Louisiana, Lafayette. So went from Western Carolina to Louisiana. Uh, he's a good coach that's out there. I bet you Corey Jenkins, um, you know, off the top of my head, you know, you'll have Jake Bentley in the coaching rank soon. He's a grad assistant at FAU. Scott Spurrier is a graduate assistant, uh, or an analyst, I think at Arizona. Uh, you know, you even got guys that are like independent quarterback coaches that are doing well, like Steven Garcia and Perry Orth have their thing. You know, Dylan Thompson's kind of in some off-the-field roles, as is Connor Shaw. Um, you know, Travell – I'm sorry to, to, to not mention this. Travell Wharton's been an O-line coach in the NFL. We all know Deuce Staley's a coach in the NFL. Um, you've got uh, Rod, Rodriguez Wilson's at Coastal now uh, after being in the NFL and at Carolina. Um, Nashawn Goddard, I believe, is the O-line coach at South Carolina State. Bennett Swaggart is the OC at South Carolina State and a damn good one. Uh, you got Chad Staggs, who was a GA here as the D coordinator or D line coach or D coordinator, sorry, at Coastal, who's really good. Um, yeah, and, and so, so, so Jason Barnes. Uh, I forgot about Jason Barnes. He's in coaching and a good one. So 
there are a lot of them out there, especially from the Spurrier era. Now, I probably missed somebody, and I apologize for that. That's just because, you know, I, I don't have everything in front of me, and I'd have to do some research and write an article on it. Uh, but there are plenty, and I think – ooh, just hit the microphone there. Uh, and, and I think that's good for any program to have that there. So thanks, Mr. White, for part one. Uh, part two, hey, JC, assuming there's a finite amount of resources and you can only have one, what would be better for the basketball program? One, rearranging the seating at CLA so the atmosphere is better and creating a basketball ops facility. Uh, or two, creating a new smaller basketball center uh, arena similar to Auburn's in the old Carolina Coliseum, but keeping the basketball facilities as is. Well, Mr. White, the problem with number two is the Carolina Coliseum is where the basketball facilities are right now. That thing has been turned into a practice complex. Um, you know, some say lipstick on a pig there, uh, but it's gotten nicer over. I mean, they're, they're spending money. It's just not because we all associate it with the old Coliseum and, and all remember fondly the home court advantages there and the crowd loudness there. Uh, but they can't even play. They couldn't play games in it right now, even because it's become a basketball practice facility. Uh, so, so you have to almost if you if you built a new arena, you would need to do something similar to Clemson, uh, where the new arena, like the new Little John, included all that practice facility stuff that you need. You could probably just have to wipe everything out uh, right there on that block where the Coliseum is, and then just build the behemoth. Uh, and behemoth means people may say large, but you know, I'm thinking 10,500 seats, uh, a nice arena, not a huge arena, uh, that kind of thing. Now you talk about rearranging the seating and that's interesting. Uh, because I, you know, for a long time, people keep talking about how you can't do it. Well, I beg to differ. And I don't know what Arkansas at Bud Walton was like uh, before, but I know what it is like now. And they have no problem getting their students on the court. They have no problem. Now they're winning, but Arkansas's basketball crowds are pretty good when they weren't winning too. And so, uh, you know, South Carolina, when they build facilities, sometimes tends to go look at places like Arkansas uh, or at least they did when they built Founders Park and they and they built Colonial Life Arena at the beginning. Um, so I would maybe go look out in Fayetteville again and see what they do. Um, and then if you want to continue to build out the Coliseum, that's great. I know this, the players love the Coliseum thing because you got everything. Players want everything to be right there together. You know, it, it, one of the big things with football over the years is you have the dorms on campus and everybody's got to drive out to practice and then, you know, walk across the street to, to wherever. And, and logistically, you know, it, it was kind of a too taxing on the players and coaches. Um, but in basketball, you know, you got the Coliseum there, you got the, the arena and 650 Lincoln's right there too, where they live. And so, you know, that area is great. I mean, for everything. Um, it's just, you know, can you fix the home court situation for men's, you know, you, you look at the CLA with other things, you know, you look at, uh, you know, when they hosted the NCAA tournament, it was a great basketball arena. The women, uh, I don't think anyone would argue that the atmosphere for the Tennessee game a couple of Sundays ago when game day was in town was great, you know, and, and that women's crowd does a great job of showing up and the seating arrangement for that sport is really, really good. 
I think, you know, times of terms of putting your diehards down front, you know, it's, it's sad to me that a lot of the diehards for men's basketball are in the upper deck uh, when there's a bunch of garnet and black seats uh, down around the court. But uh, I, I will say I thought the men's basketball crowds from, from Mississippi State, LSU, and Tennessee were as good as I've seen them. And, and I'll, I'll give credit to the students. But, you know, so, so if you ask me – to one or one or two. And, and it just kind of depends on five. You, you mentioned finite resources. Well, you know, I don't think that like, like for the long football operations facility, you know, you, you went out and you got a donor, Kenneth Long, uh, great Gamecock, uh, put his name on the building, gave you the money for it. Uh, the Eddie Floyd building for football, same way. Uh, you got the cruise built. I mean, you know, South Carolina's had boosters set up. Uh, for that I don't know how realistic it is to go out and get basketball boosters to put their name to give enough to put their names on stuff to to make it you know to 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 really make it something you know you know what I'm saying what I do think though is as the revenue with the SEC TV deals get going and then more revenue gets pumped into the program one way or the other that there's going to be financial flexibility uh, in terms of getting whatever they want to get done for whatever sport. Um, and, and I think that as far as upgrading facilities or, or whatever for men's basketball, I mean, I think there's so much they can control with the seating and stuff like that, that they should, they should probably have done yesterday. Right. But I think as far as, as, as really building it, build, building a new arena or whatever, uh, I think that's going to have to wait, but I don't think that, you're going to have to wait forever to do it. Um, I think there's a lot of good things coming uh, money-wise uh, to where, you know, you don't have to depend on uh, rich booster uh, interest uh, to get stuff done for men's basketball. You know, until that point, you know, reseat the arena. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's kind of the, the thing. And look, I, to their credit, and when I say they, I mean the administration. They, they've done some things to help. I mean, you know, that thing where you can move down with your tickets and upgrade your tickets and the, the electronic tickets and, and all that, that, that works. Uh, and that's good. And those are steps in the right direction. But um, it still doesn't change the fact that, you know, the camera angles are all messed up. And, you know, maybe you just flip the court. Maybe you, you – I don't know. Uh, I don't know what there is. I, I'd have to talk with – a lot of people that go to games constantly to figure out what the problem is. And you talk to people that go to games now and they're like, Oh, the crowd was fine. Um, so it may just be an optics thing on TV. It may be as simple as, all right, where is the camera picking up these empty seats and let's get butts there and let's get people there and then go from there. Right. Maybe that's simple. Uh, but anyway, thanks for your questions, Mr. Right white. And you know, uh, the next question inside the game at gmail.com is the email address. So, so Shaquem, you know, it looks like the NCAA forgot to change the Gamecocks win loss record um, to 15 and 10, not 16 and 10. Okay. Blah, blah, blah. All right. So. Hold on. I'm trying to figure out. Okay. JC, I'm okay. So sorry. He asked about, the Nets not, not forgetting a win after uh, LSU. And it was the Allen. Allen doesn't count. Now, 
I will say this for those of you that are mad at Frank about scheduling. Uh, if you want to bring up the, the annual D2 game, uh, I'm not a huge fan of it. Uh, and I, I, I'll, I'll be honest, if, if, if something could change, I would hope that would change. I understand why you do it. I understand the, you know, giving those guys an opportunity to come play. I get it. Uh, especially within the state where there's a lot of D2 programs and, and those guys lace them up and try hard too, you know, but, uh, you know, you always kind of got to do what's best for you. And and I'll say this too, there are enough division one programs in the state. Uh, I think to satisfy uh, the need to schedule in state programs, you know, and they've scheduled Wofford and coastal a bunch and, I don't know if they've scheduled Winthrop lately uh, or College of Charleston or Charleston Southern. I mean, they used to play Citadel all the time. They still do. South Carolina State was on the schedule before that game got canceled. Um, USC Upstate is a team they tend to play a lot. Uh, haven't played Furman in a while. Wofford, you know, I mean, you know look, there's enough. Uh, there are enough D1 programs in the state of South Carolina to satisfy that. Uh, however, you know, I, I I don't think the intent uh, is bad with Frank Martin. I, I like the I like the I like the uh, the intent. I think it's the right thing to do. But you got to ask yourself sometimes: is, is it worth it? And you know, is it? Does it matter? I mean, like let's say South Carolina instead of playing Allen this year played you know Charleston Southern or, or whoever. You know, I don't I don't know how good Charleston Southern is. Maybe that's a bad example but citadel you know somebody like that one does that make that much of a difference in terms of getting into the ncaa tournament or not i don't know i don't know so um so that's it all right tim in australia good eye mate he's like it's your favorite aussie mate with another mailbag question all right here we go reading about gg jackson's official visit he mentioned that he can see himself being the spark to take basketball at Carolina back to an elite level. It got me wondering, is it possible that a single recruit could change the entire trajectory of a basketball program like South Carolina? In the era of one and dones, it seems too hard to single for a single recruit to lay the platform for long-term success. I understand you need to start somewhere, but a program like Villanova that targets longer-term prospects to generate sustained success, guys like Brunson and Ari said, all right, I'll, I'll just skip that name. Hart, Bridges, and now Gillespie. Don't get me wrong, Jackson would obviously improve the program the second he walks on campus and generate momentum for the program if he turns out to be a success. But from an outsider's perspective, targeting those hiring players that would say two-plus years seems to be a more realistic way for South Carolina to build the program for sustained success. Maybe a more stable head coaching situation would help as well. would love to hear your thoughts. Thanks for everything you do. Good work. Cheers, Tim. P.S. It's not all gloom and doom in Australia as it's made out to be in the media. I appreciate your well wishes. <laughs> all right. I'll take your word for it, man, since you're there on the ground. Um, stay safe, by the way. I Okay, so these guys, like you mentioned, the two-plus years, uh, that kind of guy, I, I, you know, is that sustainable? Okay, I think Yes. But you almost do have to be a Villanova type deal, uh, you know. South Carolina's not getting those guys, uh, you know. For every Devin Carter that uh, has a shot, um, who's good and promising, and who's that type of guy, you know. There's a Woodley, 
that needs some time. Um, it's much more uh, the recruiting right now at South Carolina is much more, you know, portal and uh, and that's just a recent thing. And then getting, you know, guys that can help after a while, and uh, you know, and transfers. And you know, I it's just one of those things where I don't know that with how basketball is moving on the college level roster wise that you're going to be able to kind of find that sweet spot at South Carolina. Now, can you find it at Villanova? Yes. Can you find it at uh, like Virginia? Yeah. Can you find it at some of these places that have Baylor? I mean, Baylor's team last year that won the whole thing. That was an older team that was not necessarily full of blue chippers. You know, you kind of look at their roster, not necessarily a team full of uh, elite players. Gonzaga, same, same way though. They are getting some more guys. Uh, I, I think you have to build it, you know, differently. And, and here's my concern. Now, now, now look, uh, you know, I am willing to, like I said, I am willing to sit there and say, hey, in my opinion, if the administration says no change, if they get Gigi Jackson to publicly commit and uh, they make the NIT, I, I'm more than willing to sit there and give that a shot just because – that's a big time player from your backyard. Columbia is normally where most of the high level basketball talent comes from. Anyway, uh, you look two out of every three big timers are from Columbia. Um, you know, you keep guys in not only in state, but in town, um, you know, and, and I'm curious to see, you know, just like I mentioned, Bill Walker and Michael Beasley, you know, kind of one follows the other. So, you know, if if you do get Jackson, and this is why I'm willing to even wait if he's not an early enrollee, who's gonna who's gonna want to come play with him all of a sudden? You know, who, who's gonna want to come play with him? I mean, look, next year, I'll be honest, uh, unless you get a guy in uh, to take over, that's like a Chris Beard who coaches at Texas now, used to be at Texas Tech, who is like a whiz at putting a roster together in a year. And I don't know that that guy's not out there. I think you're you're looking at not you're looking if you make a coaching change at first year, next year, things being significantly worse before they get better. So those of you that are demanding that Jackson comes in next year, uh, look, man, you're not going to be any worse. And in college basketball, it's not like football where. Oh well, you know, got to you know bite the bullet and build, and it takes all this time. It, it happens pretty quick, so you're not, you know, you're basically probably looking at next year, another year like this, depending on what Frank can do in the portal. And I think he's pretty solid in the portal this year. Uh, in fact, I think, you know, as we look down the road, that's probably where you need to be looking you know, G.G. Jackson's of the world aside. Um, and so next season, uh, and, and a lot depends on who comes back, and you don't know. You don't know. I mean, college basketball is weird uh, <laughs> with roster turnover and stuff. But, you know, you get Carter back and and, and and add some pieces around him, and, you know, you have another NIT year or whatever. Uh, maybe it goes your way, and, and, and some of the guys you get, uh, for next season, end up actually being better than you thought, and you know players get a lot better, and you know you, you go from there. Or you know uh, he comes in in twenty twenty two, but that's why I'm not worried about 
him not coming in until 2023. And, and I know that that's basically signing Frank up for year 11 and 12. Um, but I'm willing to bite. I'm willing to bite because the program's not awful. It's stuck. And so how is it going to get unstuck? Well, that's one way to do it. The other way is a coaching change. Quite frankly, it's a coaching change. Get it unstuck. That sucker's going to get unstuck and go one way or the other. I promise you that. Probably going to get worse before it gets better. But like I said, what if Carolina goes out and hires a guy that's really, really good in the portal that's a, you know, like a mid-major coach that all the players loved and AAU people loved and he just hadn't been at a high major. And, you know, a lot of guys get in the portal, come play for him. I mean, you know, you never know what could happen with that. And, and so that's another way to get unstuck. You know, but if you're going the Frank Martin route, uh, I think Gigi Jackson and the NIT all have a lot to do with that. And uh, and that's that there. Um, but look, I'm not uh, – I'm not uh, – I'm not worried anymore with basketball about guys staying for a long time. And actually, Frank, uh, you know, I know there's a lot of attrition a while back, and, you know, some guys left last year, certainly. But, you know, Kuznard and Bryant have stayed. A.J. Lawson stayed probably a year longer than people thought. You know, this this recent wave of players hasn't been as it hadn't been as much attrition, uh, you know, individually with players that Matt, that are good uh, than maybe in the past. But obviously, you're like, well, he has nine new players this year, JC. <laughs> what are you talking about? Uh, no, I mean that, that's true. But you know, some of the core guys, and in basketball, you know, that's who you that's who it's really critical to hang on to. And you cut some dead weight. I mean, you got a guy that's your eighth guy on the bench that's all of a sudden better than your sixth guy last year, uh, and, and that's the key. Um, so, so look, I don't know. You know, somebody comes in that's a master of the portal. South Carolina can be in the NCAA tournament next season with a new coach. Uh, may or may not happen, though. And, and so that's the deal there. But I, I think realistically, it's going to be interesting to follow your Villanovas of the world and just see how many guys they do keep around. But I know what you're talking about. Villanova doesn't necessarily recruit one and dones, but they'll recruit that next level. It's kind of like that uh, South Carolina football recruiting in Georgia. You know, Alabama, Georgia kids, maybe not, but that next level, you, you can make a living off of that. Tim, have a good time down in the land down under. You better run. You better take cover. Not, as you said, it wasn't all that bad. That's all the time we have for Inside the Gamecocks podcast today. I'm J.C. Sherbert. Be sure to subscribe to the Big Spur YouTube page where you can get a Big Spur brief. Uh, it's kind of a little quick hitter every day. Be sure to like us on Instagram at Inside the Gamecocks. Follow us on Twitter at the Big Spur Pod. Again, the mailbag, the IHOP Consulting mailbag, you could tweet to at the Big Spur Pod or email me inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com. All right, we'll holler at you soon. Uh, don't forget JB and Goldwater later this week, the Big right here on Inside the Gamecocks. I'm JC Sherbert. Have a great day.